How to lose a guy in 10 days. Yes. Go. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone. Hey, everybody, welcome to How to Lose a Guy in episodes the podcast all about how to lose a guy in 10 days the 2003 romantic comedy classic uh, i am your host curtis blaze with me today is sean german of spinal tap minute and groundhog day minute and joel backer the podcast enthusiast hey sean how's it going all right curtis thanks for having me uh, how are you doing well, I, you know, as far as having you goes, it looks like we're all on the same well, yeah. level here. All right, and and Joel, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Sean. Why don't you give us some uh, some beginnings and endings on this one? All right. So, what are we talking about? So, we are watching. This is uh, uh, episode number nine. So, this is the the ninth section of uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. And hey, now let's let's get this straight. Is this the ninth day too? Is that how that works? We'll call it the ninth ninth day. Okay, yeah. that works for me. Yeah, so we're we're watching this movie one day at a time. <laughs> um, so we are at uh, as as we we join this section of the film, the the big diamond bash is in full swing. Uh, Warren uh, approaches Ben and confirms that his talk with Andy uh, went well, and Ben will be heading up the Delauer pitch. The Judys take a moment to gloat, and for some reason, Tony and Thayer feel they need to approach Andy to try to get her to lie to Warren, not knowing that, that she and Warren have already spoken. And it, it all goes downhill from there. Um, Andy gets Ben up on stage. Uh, ben gets his revenge by getting Andy up on stage. And uh, somehow a musical legend, Marvin Hamlish, gets involved in, in this whole mess. <laughs> and uh, we wrap up, well, we get some really bad singing. I, I hope for uh, these two performers... Uh, sake that it's bad on purpose that they're acting here and then we wrap up with uh, some aftermath uh, that follows the party i guess it's probably the next day into the next night and a little bit of game seven of of the knicks but uh so that's that in a nutshell that's what we're talking about and um well let's let's start with with what's your experience with the film and i'll i'll say i i had not seen the film before volunteering for this podcast, and I still have not seen the film. Um, I've mainly just seen uh, this section <laughs> that that we're covering today. Um, I'll, I'll go to you, Curtis, first. So, what's what's your history with this film? My history of this film is I was always aware of its existence because I date women, but I've never seen it until about a week ago when I when it became evident that we were going to really go through with this. <laughs> yes. And, so uh, I watched the yeah. whole thing in 11 minute and 33 second chunks. There you go. Okay. And, and uh, then again last night, all right. the whole thing. And I purposely saved the best for last. And so, uh, Joel, tell us about your history with the film. Well, I have stepdaughters, so I have seen this movie many times. Um, I remember we had it on, I'm pretty sure we had it on VHS. It was either VHS or just standard deaf DVD, and they played it. It was one of those movies that was just always on in the background. Mm-hmm. Like I would get home and How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days would be on. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, 
And we, as we were, I was discussing a little bit before we started, um, this movie, I, I do kind of remember it. I remember this little segment that we watched pretty well. Um, but the plot of it combines in my brain into this kind of rat king of, uh, <laughs> of romantic comedies where, cause the plots just all blend together and yeah. all these movies blend together. Like it was this, it was the wedding planner. Mm-hmm. It was, um, Sweet Home Alabama, which I would have sworn on a big old stack of Bibles had Matthew McConaughey in it, but apparently it does not. Hmm. And okay. there are a variety of, uh, there are a bunch of other ones from around that period of time. So yeah, it, it's just all this big romantic comedy mass in my head, like a tumor. <laughs> yeah, I am I am someone, um, I am a, a fan of women. I have relationships with women. I do not have any daughters, but I do have a wife and... Um, I, somehow I got lucky enough that she's not into the romantic comedy or at least the the occasional romantic comedy she feels the needs to watch. She's able to do it. Um, she'll wait till I'm out of the room. So I have not been subjected. <laughs> my idea of romantic comedy is um, or my experience is Princess Bride. That's about as romantic, which is a great movie, as, as I get, which is which is great, and um, I, you know, I don't know if it if it's uh, how it fits into the romantic comedy genre. I mean, it's a comedy; there is romance, so I'm assuming, but that's that's about as far as my that's about as far as my experience goes. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and like instantly within thirty seconds of this clip, I just I. I, I won't say that this is not a good movie. I will say I'm not the. Oh, target. you can say that. Oh, I can't say that. But uh, I, I, you know, I ask the questions that you, that you shouldn't ask, and I'm I'm familiar. You know, when I like I I like sci-fi and action and comic book movies, and obviously there's a lot of suspension of disbelief. Like you just you cannot get too analytical, or the whole thing crumbles. Like really, the, in the whole galaxy, Luke Skywalker meets one woman. And it just happens to be a sister. Like, what are the odds of that? You know, there's there's two women in the galaxy. One his aunt and the other is his sister. Like, that doesn't make sense. So I understand each genre has their own things. Like, instantly, right in the beginning, I'm like, all these people seem to know each other. And in particular, so Lilith, uh, Lilith Frazier, who's, <laughs> who's Andy's boss, knows Matthew McConaughey. But she doesn't know that the woman that he's dating is in. Like he, like I believe she's chatting him up. That's the impression that I got from my vague memories of this. I don't know that she knows him before that. I believe that she's just like diving in and flirting with him. Okay, because she seems- actually, I, I can provide some insight. Here. Oh, all right, please, please do, Curtis. Go right ahead. The magazine. What's that magazine called? Composure. Not Cosmo. Composure <laughs> is uh, getting ready to run this diamond ad mm-hmm. and so they know that there's someone out there who's putting together the diamond ad and they don't know who that's going to be they just know it's going to be this company and they know he's at this company and that's how Lilith knows that he's the that's why it's important to her that he's the one heading it up okay because she seemed to know about the bet that he you know yeah. he, he's got a romance a, a woman in order to get the account that obviously will be spending a lot of money and putting the ads into her magazine, but she doesn't know that it's oh. her direct employee that is the other party of of his bet. Oh, I would see. I'm not under the impression that 
She knew that. Or no? Oh, maybe she bet. didn't know about the bet. She just okay. Maybe I'm. She's the one who assigned. She's the one who assigned Andy to lose right. a guy in ten days. Maybe she just and, knows that he's dating someone. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe she didn't know that the dating was part of a bet. Maybe I'm jumping. Well, yeah. Here, here's what happens. He goes up to her, and she's like, "Oh, you know, you're the one with the new account." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And he goes. It, you know, if you'll pardon me, I'm going to go talk to this beautiful woman. She goes, oh, yeah, that's Andy. Oh, you should see this thing that I assigned Andy to do. And, you know, she starts to go through what the assignment is, and he realizes that he's the sucker. Right. And, and then she realizes that she's talking to that guy. Okay. Okay. So this is one of those things. This is... and, and To, to crawl, by the way. Right. <laughs> And I, I hate I, I hate when people do this, where they go back to things and say, well, this could never happen now if people had cell phones or smartphones. But I guess that applies because at this point, it's reasonable to think no, like no one where Andy works and certainly not her boss would not have seen Ben because she wouldn't just whip out her cell phone and say, here's a picture of the guy that I'm seducing for this article. When did this come out? This was... 2003. 2003. So, yeah, I mean, you had cell phones, but I don't think you necessarily had a smartphone where you'd be taking pictures all the time. Like nowadays, the first thing, like as soon as she walks in and says, oh, I've got a guy for the article. Everyone these days would be, well, let's let's see a picture. Let's we want his, his social picture. media accounts and everything. Here's his else. LinkedIn. Right. Here's his Facebook. Here's his Instagram. Right. Everyone would know every about it. But I guess back about then, it in the office. you know. They they may they may know his name they may not they would just know there's a guy I, and they wouldn't have seen. I think okay. the, part of the problem here in, in trying to figure out this this eleven minutes is that everyone acts like an idiot. Yes. There's just oh, there's yes. no like the moment that BB Newworth goes up to Matthew McConaughey and starts chatting him up. The moment that he says, mm-hmm. "I want to see go see this beautiful blonde girl over here," she should piece it together pretty quickly like oh this is probably possibly the guy that she's trying to lose in 10 days i should keep my mouth shut but and to to be fair maybe she's had been hit the champagne a little hard but (laughs) yeah instead she just starts rambling about the article that he's writing and it's the same with um matthew mcconaughey's friends whose names i tony and thayer is that it tony yeah Yeah. tony stupid guys with stupid names no offense to any tonys thayers you can take offense but (laughs) But yeah, Tony thing one and there. thing two, basically. Yeah. Thing basically. one and thing two. They yeah, part, are. I'm sorry. Go they, on, Joel. they get played. Uh, sorry, they get played by those two by the Judies, who say something like, "Oh, she's been in on it from the beginning," and then they have this hilarious little like skulking around a corner, watching them go and and screw <sighs> up. It's basically, it's yeah. it's this great like um, 1920s silent villain. <laughs> kind of move like ooh, i've put my plan into place and then they they just kind of poke both their heads around the corner it was yeah, one of they the kind few... of remind me of the, the siamese cats from the aristocrats in that move <laughs> oh that is a good call yeah they are yeah, totally the good, good siamese call. if you please cats right yeah, yeah that was one of the few genuine chuckles i got out of this this few minutes was that i don't i don't necessarily know that it was intended to be funny but them just both poking their heads around the corner did kind of did did make me laugh. The other laughs are courtesy of Mr. Marvin Hamlish, <laughs> who is, I have to say, yeah. a a damn professional. It's funny. He more than anyone else in this movie. Why really is gives he in off, this movie? 
Why is he in this movie? Who who was like, you know what this movie needs? Marvin Hamlish. And I'm sorry, nothing against Marvin Hamlish, but he is the moment that Robert Klein said his name, I was like, wait, what? Marvin <laughs> Hamlish is in this movie? Yeah. It, I, and I can only imagine him, he must have been in town, um, wherever this was, you know, if it was filmed on location in New York or LA, wherever. And he was like walking through a hotel lobby and they just grabbed him, you know, because it's just I, I assume he's I, he's not in any other scenes. It's just this one thing. And they probably grabbed him and said, listen, you know, we'll give you a million dollars if you just sit on stage for this one thing and then play, you know, play a song that's not one of your songs. <laughs> which he points and, out. Yeah, which he points out. And it's it's not like I mean, this guy, this guy has has songs and that's and, and that is a a legitimate bit of comedy that is really funny because this guy if you're not familiar with marvin hamlish he's like an egot plus egot is so he's got an emmy grammy oscar and tony and he's got a pulitzer prize and he's got the pulitzer oh i didn't know that he yeah he's got awards on top of awards he won the pulitzer the dude is allowed he's lauded he's well lauded yeah he got the pulitzer for uh, for drama for a chorus line um, you know, he's got a bunch of wins and nominations for um, all kinds of music he's written. So that where where they ask him to play a song that isn't his own, just <laughs> but, that, but, that that was funny. That's legit comedy right there. It really contributes to the uh, the cringeworthiness of the moment, for sure. My, my laugh came from his like died in the wool show must go on professionalism because <laughs> they're like, do you know you're so vain? And he, he yeah. reasonably objects, that's not one of my songs. Right. And Matthew McConaughey gives him this like kind of malevolent glare and is like, work with you know, me. Just, just work with me here. <laughs> and Marvin Hamish is like, all right, guess I'm playing. You're so... It's like, it again, to suspension of disbelief is required. The moment Kate Hudson gets up on stage yeah. with a microphone, she, you know, security would have been dragging her off. There's the The scene is fantasy from that point forward. But it just enters this realm of heightened absurdity when not only does Marvin Hamlish know how to play your Sylvain, mm -hmm. that he's just able to whip it out instantly without sheet music or anything, but that he just accepts the situation and is like, all right, well, this is my life now. I'm playing your Sylvain while these, this couple breaks up yeah. with each other well, on yeah, stage. As, as, they, as they have this, like, it's almost like a rap battle. I mean, they have a song fight, <laughs> and, and he just keeps playing. And and a rap well, battle would have been so how much, much better. better would, I was just going to say, how much better would it have been if it had been a rap battle? I it's just beautiful that, to yeah. watch Marvin's reaction to during the song. They keep cutting to him, and he just looks more and more horrified as the yeah. song goes on. He is one of the better actors in this film. He, he's he's really like legitimately funny in this yeah. in this little sequence. Yeah. And there there is a connection. I would just mention there is a a, a connection for your so vain. It's not you know it's not one of his songs. Not something he's written. Um, but Marvin was uh, was nominated for uh, the Academy Award for Best Original Song for Nobody Does It Better. Uh, from the James Bond film *The Spy Who Loved Me*, and nobody does it better was performed by Carly Simon, who sang *You're So Vain*. So there is, there is some connection there. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> some stretch. I, I haven't looked. I hate it when people just go through the IMDb. Did Marvin contribute any music to this or anything? I don't think so. He's not listed. It's in on his Wikipedia page. This movie is listed amongst his work, but it's just kind of 
it's in it's in there's a list of films and i assume these are not for the most part these are not films where he has appeared because he is not an actor but they're films that he's done the music for but then somewhere in the list is how to lose a guy in 10 days and i had the same thing like oh did he was he like doing the score for the movie and then they put and that might explain how he got suckered into you know getting on camera but then in imdb he's not listed in as part of the music department he's just listed as playing the character he just, Hamlish, he just has to be personal friends with Robert Klein or something and they called him up <laughs> to answer the question uh, no uh, Marvin did not do the music for this film other than this wonderful rendition of uh... <laughs> now I guess this is kind of uh, I don't know if it quite elevates to the level of standard but I, I wasn't surprised when the band kind of joined in that the band knows this song but yeah if you're I would think if you're someone like Marvin Hamlish, like your head, well, and I would want his, I would want this head to be filled with original Marvin Hamlish music. I, this is a guy I would want, he should know no other songs. Like there should just be no detrius in that. Nothing, nothing anyone else has written should be taking up brain cells that could be dedicated to producing original work. It's and he's written a lot of music too. There's a lot of songs and and compositions up in that head. Yeah, I mean, if which it, is just another point in the favor to me of he is a a damn pro. <laughs> you know, uh, right? I imagine. Yeah, I, I guess for someone at, at that level, it probably doesn't take too much practice. He's he's heard it a couple times, and he can kind of bang it out. But oh, always the professional that uh, that Marvin. That's what they say. Someone in one of the previous episodes of this podcast mentioned that they feel Matthew McConaughey significantly better when he's playing villainous parts mm -hmm. and the look he gives Marvin Hamlish right before he launches into your so I think is really proof positive of that because it is a like play your so vain or I'm going to hurt you in some way sort of sort of glare he gives him when he says work with me here Marvin it's not like a hey we're having fun up here it's a like you do this now Matthew McConaughey yeah. himself well, it's kind of interesting. This might be the movie, if I'm looking at this right. I read an interview with this guy. He said that he felt he was getting typecast into romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to get out of that. So he stopped accepting them, but nothing else would come along. So he spent a year, year and a half, not working. And finally, finally did start getting more serious drama. But I think this might be the movie where he decided that he was done with rom-coms, looking over his career. <laughs> this Everything is the after straw this starts that, to get more serious, yeah. That, that broke the camel's back. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was actually talking uh, about Matthew McConaughey, or, or we were talking, he came up in, in another, um, another podcast, and I'll shameless plug for my own thing, uh, Scrooge by Ghost. I'm doing another podcast where I'm covering uh, the Bill Murray classic Scrooged, One Ghost at a Time. And uh, Bill Murray, someone who um, whose career kind of took a turn, obviously started off strictly comedian, going for the yucks in things like, well, started on Saturday Night Live, kind of where his, his first fame came from. But then, uh, you know, Stripes and Caddyshack and those kind of things. And then um, in later days has made a turn and into more serious or at least, well, different kinds of comedy with the, with the Wes Anderson stuff where it's much more dry than, than the early slapstick and, and stuff like Lost in Translation. And 
we were trying to think of, well, are there other actors, other people that have made a transition like that? And, and Matthew came up, um, not, not really the same in comedy, but certainly lighter parts and yeah, a lot of, uh, romantic comedies, uh, that he was in, but then he's, yeah, he really made a turn in, in, in particular, I think of true detective, but also stuff like Dallas buyers club, um, and parts like that. So someone, um, shout out to Bernie. He's yeah. really good in Bernie with Jack, <laughs> with Jack Black. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if that was a, a conscious choice, uh, I think it worked out well. And yeah, just kind of quickly perusing, it, it seems like right it around... Looks like Ghosts of Girlfriends yeah. passed in 2009 might have been his last rom-com. I mean, because then you got, yeah, stuff like We Are Marshall in, in 2006 and Tropic Thunder, which is still a comedy and, and he was a comedic part in that, but but a little bit different. I guess Not you have romantic. to, you kind of go in, in baby steps. Rom-com is definitely its own thing. It really is. It, there's no, there's nothing else that's like rom-com. You can't, there's no real crossover rom-com and something else. Mm-hmm. You already know what the ending is going to be every single time. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. And where did that start? Is that better off dead? I don't really remember. The, uh, you know for sure at the end there's going to be some hijinks that ensue and they're going to break up because of a misunderstanding and then they're going to end up getting back together because someone's going to make a gesture. Well, not to get too highfalutin about it, but you see that in Shakespeare, in Shakespeare's comedies. Mm-hmm. There's always like mistaken identities, people pretending to be somebody else, uh, confusion over something overheard that is misinterpreted. There's the, you know, people throwing breaking up and then coming together in this rapturous ending and then with Shakespeare it all ends in a wedding. Right. Yeah, and it's it's um I mean that formula you see that even in things like uh, the importance of being earnest. So this sure. is not a, a new formula. <sighs> Every Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> yeah. So that we Every need, Three's yeah. Company episode. Um so so yeah, movies like uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days did not invent the formula. It just it just broke it. It just killed it. <laughs> Yeah, I just realized that if someone were to try and pull a pull quote from me from this podcast, it would be Shakespearean, says Joel Barker. <laughs> Put that on the poster, yeah. So I um I had I had a little bit of a, a trivia we can we can toss in. I don't know if this will be covered in in a previous day, um, you know, but in a previous episode if they covered some of the 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 um attire, I guess for uh, for this minute. So the the yellow gown that Kate Hudson is wearing was created by celebrity designer Dinah Bar-El. Um, so that's kind of a, a famous thing happening there. And the the necklace that she's wearing, there's a, as, as, as you would have discussed in previous days, uh, they had like a, a diamond bar, a diamond buffet <laughs> at this thing, which I don't know is an actual thing, oh, but yeah. you could just walk up uh, and, <laughs> and pick up you a You could diamond. walk up and frost yourself. Yeah, oh yes, exactly, frost yourself. So she's wearing... Um, <laughs> So her necklace is uh, the... That just sounds so maniacally decadent. (laughs) A diamond buffet. That's like something Nero would have had. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Along with your pearls that you're dropping into your wine. Your your diamond buffet. (laughs) Well, and and I, you know, I haven't seen the whole film, but I do, I I did, um, I did kind of, I downloaded a copy and I was jumping around. I watched a little bit at the beginning. I watched the end. I watched some of the bits. And, uh... I was kind of typing up notes and I had it playing kind of off to the side and then I heard that line frost yourself. And I'm like that, that just made me think of an entirely different kind of romantic movie. 
just the, the woman's getting frosted. I'm like, I didn't think it was going to be that kind of podcast, but there we go. Uh, I like that you're referring to it as an entirely different kind of romantic <laughs> movie. I don't know if romance really figures into the kind of film that you're it's, that you're discussing, but yeah, frost yourself is a. In, I mean, I think to to give credit where credit is due, and honestly, I don't know why I'm doing that except for the sheer intellectual exercise. I do think they intended that to be a little bit funny and a, mm-hmm. a slightly off color. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I can't imagine. Well, I was just going to say I can't imagine a diamond company actually going with that as an advertising campaign. But now that those words are coming out of my mouth, <laughs> I've seen stupider advertising campaigns than that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so anyway, so I, I started this to discuss the the necklace that that Andy picks out is is called the Isadora Diamond, named for Isadora Duncan, and it's an eighty carat yellow diamond is the kind of the centerpiece of that necklace designed by Harry Winston, who. Um, Good God. I, I don't know if he actually appears, but like, doesn't someone like kind of wave to him off screen? They're like, "Hey, it's Harry Winston," and maybe that's how they got to use the diamond in the movie. They're like, "We'll we'll name check Probably. you in the movie if if you let us use one of your uh, your pieces there." But yeah. I do think it's in terribly bad taste to name something after Isadora Duncan that you wear around your neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even think of that. Um, yeah, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, she was strangled when a, a scarf by she her was own wearing, scarf. Yeah, yeah, got caught in the wheel. She was wearing a long long scarf and a convertible, and uh, that must have been a seriously was... Doctor Who length scarf to to get caught in the wheels of a car. Not to get too far off on this <laughs> tangent, but how long could that scarf? That must have been a hell of a scarf. Yeah, yeah this is this is a, a Tom Baker level of of scarfitude <laughs> regarding clothing and and apparel i just wanted to to give points to bb new earth for how much she's rocking the like pink kimono type top that she's wearing in the uh in the scene where she accepts andy's article it's like i was like man that is a sharp look and she's really rocking it she's very good in this movie i i feel like she's i i found her much more immediately charismatic and enjoyable than either of our two leads yes i think she's just a better actress I think she's just at her own level. I mean, she she performs in plays. She she knows acting. She's not just a pretty face, you know. And she's very she's innately likable. Like her character is not a likable character, but she's still someone that. And possibly I'm just carrying over fond associations from Cheers and Frasier. Mm-hmm. But well, and she doesn't play likable people either. Uh, Lilith was not likable. Morticia Adams, I don't know, not really. <laughs> hey, speak <laughs> for yourself, cold. man. That's that's my. <laughs> That's my ideal woman right there. <laughs> All right. Apologies to my wife who, if she's listening to this. But she almost always plays this kind of slightly sleazy person that's kind of mean, and yet you still end up liking her in every role she's in. This is true. She she does often have kind of a mercilessness to her characters. That's a good word for it. And then we have Thomas Lennon, who is your your go to cinematic fussy guy. It's like I need someone. I need someone yeah. to be really upset by things and really fastidious. Mm-hmm. Thomas Lennon. Thomas Lennon. Hey, he makes a career out of it. Um, oh, and I, I and I did want to mention since you were mentioning, uh, we, we were talking about attire uh, during the yeah. At, so at the the diamond ball, uh, he's wearing a shirt with a covered placket, which I am a big fan of. So you see, I I don't know which one is. Which one is Tony and which one is Thayer? But so when you see it doesn't matter when you see uh, you know Tom, Tom Lennon and, and Andy Goldberg side by side. So they're in tuxedos. Um, 
I think I think Tom's got a vest where Andy's the the cummerbund, and I'm I'm a vest man myself. But so they're they're wearing tuxedos. They've got the bow tie, and then Andy has got the uh, or no, I'm sorry, Adam. Oh my God, it's uh, Adam Kohlberg, not Andy. So Adam is wearing. You see the well. He's he's got studs that that go through the shirt. They're like little cufflinks for for the front of your shirt. They're not actual buttons, but he's got the studs down the front of the shirt. I don't like that look. I like the covered placket that Tom has. There's no buttons. There's no studs. There's nothing. It's just a field of white um, on the chest uh, underneath the, the bow tie. Um, what do you gentlemen feel? How do you, how do you feel about it? you like You like showing buttons? You like the covered placket? You don't care? What? Where do you stand? When I have a choice, when it's not being designed by the bride or something, mm-hmm. I like to do just the same color buttons. Okay, yeah. That's good as well. I like, I like, um, what am I trying to say? I like it when there are things to look at, not just a field of white. Mm-hmm. Okay. Huh. I'm a big fan of the uh, tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's my preferred formal wear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just one did... other, not a laugh, but a, some mild amusement at a bit of business when Adam Goldberg pours the champagne for Tom Lennon and then just proceeds to drink out of the bottle for himself. <laughs> of, course, of course. I didn't laugh, but I was like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of clever. Yeah, this is... Um, there are a lot of little things there. If, if you're in a position where you must watch this movie, there are a lot of little things like that that, um, that, that you can kind of keep yourself you're desperately occupied. searching for entertainment. <laughs> for entertainment, yeah. And for some reason, Adam Goldberg's where he has a pinky ring. I don't know if that's if that's ever addressed, if that's part of his character in the film, or if that's uh, that's something he brought of his own. Now, on a fashion front, is a pinky ring ever a good look? I think it depends no. on how yeah. deeply associated with mob you are. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I guess it depends on, on if you know where the bodies are buried, so to speak. <laughs> if you're Joe Pesci, you can pull it off. This guy, he uh, almost seems to be a direct continuation of his character from Joey and Friends. Oh, I'd forgotten almost he was like even on Friends. It, it, like it could be the same cinematic universe. Let's, this is just him five years later. He may just be playing himself, for all we know. Yes, that's very just, possible. He always seems to have the same look, kind of unshaved. He really that... did look like they just rousted him out of bed for this scene. The, he's the way he's kind of hunched over. He's unshaven. He's he's got that like I'm working on a two day hangover quality about him, particularly next to Thomas Lennon, who is as as previously mentioned dressed to the nines mm-hmm. and very spick and span yeah i imagine that's that's a that's a choice for adam goldberg yeah he always looks like it's not i mean and, and maybe he's just one of those guys that can't really grow a beard like he's got hair on his face but it's more like yeah i, I get the impression it's a i haven't shaved in a few days not not that i'm i'm not consciously trying to grow a beard but the yeah the, the drinking the drinking the dom straight from the bottle um, doesn't help. It was a nice that. touch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the hair is kind of just messed. Yeah. Like you said, that that look like, oh, they just woke him up and oh, you're needed on the set in five where, uh, you know, Tom Lennon is guy. He's, you know, the hair never, never a strand out of place. The hair game is always on point um, with Tom Lennon. So, it's, it's, you know, it's great to, to see a professional at work there. Someone in one of the previous episodes mentioned that Tom Lennon is essentially playing a character that Tony Randall would have played had this been a Rock Hudson Doris Day movie. Ooh. And I thought that was that was a really sharp observation that yeah he kind of is as close as we've got to like the Tony Randall of our generation. Well, it's interesting you say that. Wasn't he one of the people in the Odd Couple remake? Right, he was. 
I'd forgotten about that. Did he play Tony Randall's character? He, he must have, because that's the fussy one, right? Yeah. yeah. There we, there was an Odd Couple remake? Yeah, it had him and um, Matthew oh, Perry, was right? That? Was it Matthew Perry? Yeah, I think so. Chandler. Uh, okay, yeah. That sounds right. It, yeah. it could still be on, for uh, all I know. I, I, I rarely watch... Watch TV yeah. nowadays, so I haven't, wow. I haven't the foggiest. Yeah, 2015, Tom Lennon and Matthew Perry. Okay, huh. I, I, well, I now have to go immediately block that out of my head. I think there's probably a reason I wasn't aware of this, and I'd like to go back to that time. I give it like 10 minutes, it'll be gone. That's not information that sticks around for long. Well, the first time I watched this, it just bothered me. I, I knew that I knew that guy from somewhere. I finally had to just go look him up when I was done. Yeah. Reno 911. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's that's where I know. I had I I knew I recognized him, but I couldn't place him. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I remembered him from the state, way mm-hmm. back in the day. And I when he started showing up in movies, I was like, oh hey, it's that guy. Because I hadn't seen Viva Variety or Reno 911 or any of that stuff, so I wasn't aware of his continued career. So what's the deal? <laughs> what's the deal with the wife of the Diamond King? <laughs> Is she a bird? <laughs> She she does have some plumage going on there. Yeah. That that's another uh, example of like a background actor sort of overshadowing what the leads are doing. Mm-hmm. Her sheer delight in the the diss track song that they're singing to each other. At no point does she seem to to cog cognizant of the fact that they're breaking up on stage. She's gleefully dancing away in her chair. Right. Well, happily it, listening to this music. Well, and I, even if she's not listening to the you know what they're saying or the way they're saying it she's not even really aware, she doesn't seem to be aware of the the quality of the singing it's just it's not being performed well but she's rocking right along and i wonder well, so she heard, she heard him saying that it was for her and she just from that point on was delighted there you go okay <laughs> it didn't, ma- didn't matter to her what it was at that point it's for her right all in her honor yeah, at there, a certain point either thing one or thing two says Something like um, tone deaf and drunk is a bad combination. Yep. <laughs> and I felt really personally attacked by that because tone deaf and drunk is how I spend about 50% of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I disagree. Now, I think the combination of tone drunk or tone deaf, drunk and on stage, that's where you go wrong. That's, and that's where these folks have gone wrong. But ordinarily, tone drunk and, and deaf is, uh, yeah, my go-to move. Yeah, yeah. I think tone deaf, drunk, and breaking up on stage is really the 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 power combo. Yeah. There. Yeah. On the subject of the the Diamond King, as you called him, the the ladies, um, Mr. Delauer. Yeah. Mr. Delauer. I got a. I and I can't remember if he has a speaking role in any other part of the movie or if he plays a significant part. But the look of of um, uh, using the same word again, malevolence that he gives his wife, I got kind of like a Robert Blake and Lost Highway vibe from him. Like there's some there's something almost supernaturally creepy about his appearance and the his brief brief sp- span on screen. Well, there's something there's something deeper going on here, and I hate to attribute deeper to this movie, but the way that he played that character, and I don't know if this is direction or if it's just personal choice on his acting. You get the feeling that Mrs. Delauer has has a lot of boyfriends, and Agreed. that uh, McConaughey is going to be the latest one, and that she kind of she kind of hangs over these guys when they introduce Mr. and Mrs. Delauer, and they both stand up, and she's on the arm of um 
not Andy, God, what's his name? Ben. 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 The look a, he a gives, and B, as someone pointed out. <laughs> a yeah. and B. Well, the look and, that the look that he gives him as he's standing up and she's hanging all over Ben is just one of oh, here we go again. Yep. You know, she's rich. She's gonna be able to get this guy because she's rich. And I'm just gonna <laughs> once again put up with it. Well, and it it may be one of those things where I'm just desperately searching for entertainment, but there was something very <laughs> odd and creepy about that guy's on-screen presence, like a little bit of an Udo Kier slash Joel Grey and Cabaret presence that he, that he had. Like, this guy's got ba- bodies buried in the basement. What makes you say that? Just, it's an indefinable eeriness of his... Like I said, my immediate thought was was Robert Blake in Lost Highway. Like, this this is a guy near supernatural levels of creepiness. Mm-hmm. Again, I, it's possible that I'm simply desperately searching for entertainment. <laughs> I should mention later on... In the scene where it's um, Andy and Catherine Hahn's character, whose name I don't remember, are in her apartment and, and watching television, drinking beer. I was deeply distracted by the size of the cat on Kate Winslet's lap. <laughs> Kate, not Kate Winslet, Kate Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a much better movie with Kate Winslet. But. Yeah. Well, that but brings either, up the same thing. I, either I mean, Kate Hudson is very small, or that was a huge cat. Oh, no. Uh, that was something I was going to bring up. These people are extremely small. Okay, check this out. In minute, I've actually got this. Like at ten twenty, where they're both sitting on the couch drinking beer, mm-hmm. it's like they have giant, funny-sized bottles of beer in their hands. <laughs> Novelty-sized Budweisers. Novelty-sized <laughs> bottles of beer in their hand. They must be so tiny in real life. They must be like five one and and like. 100 pounds. They Those bottles of beer are like as long as their arms. <laughs> as long as their forearms. Oh, God. It's one of those things, like, I hadn't noticed it, but once you mention it, I can't unsee. <laughs> those bottles are huge. <laughs> or they're just very small people. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too. I think maybe the cat might be a normal size, too. Just actresses. The first time yeah, I, was, yeah. I experienced this was watching, oh, what was that, Housewives... TV show, whatever it was. Real Housewives or Desperate Real Housewives? Ho- Desperate Housewives, where uh, Terry Hatcher was in a van and her head didn't go up to the headrest. And and that's oh, when yeah. I started noticing this everywhere. It's like, oh man, these people are tiny. Looking at guys, looking at girls, actors actors and actresses in movies. That's just a thing. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why, why do actors on film actors and television actors, why do they tend to be small? Is it because of the way that their smallness gives them a ideal proportion. Oh, that could be. Hmm? I don't know. I mean, there are the outliers. Jeff Goldblum's like what, eight feet tall? Something. Yeah, like that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Now IMDb has uh, Kate at five six and a quarter, which is taller than I would have thought. A normal size human. Yeah. So maybe it is a big. So cat. it is possible <laughs> that they were simply giant bottles of beer and an extremely large <laughs> Very cat. Large cat. <laughs> I guess that's they, a more likely outcome, yeah. They they accidentally ordered from Giant Props that day. That's <laughs> what they had on set. Um, it's like, yeah, it's a mountain lion. Just pretend it's your cat. We'll fix it in post. And uh, as uh, Joel, you, you, you referenced this earlier. We we flashed to... Well, I'm just going to skip over the, the, bre- the breaking up, the mandatory expected rom-com breakup outside. Because, of course, one... She runs, and then he has to run after her. And then, for some reason, 
he's apologizing even though he didn't do anything wrong. It's just yeah, it's a mess. But anyway, I'm going to jump right past to like I assume it's the next day, and it's they're in the offices of Composure, and it's uh, Andy with with Lilith, and she she loves the piece, but when she says that Andy's going to be able to write whatever she wants to write, she's still writing for Composure. Well, yeah, that's the thing that kind of. As I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, well, she was going to be able to write all of that stuff anyway. Right. But this well, is... As, as has been pointed out previously, she's writing for the wrong publication. If she wants to write about religion and politics and so forth, she's writing for what is quite clearly a cosmopolitan, a riff on cosmopolitan. Right. She's writing for the wrong place. Exactly. And is it supposed to, like, are we supposed to be sympathetic? Like a young professional, she hasn't learned that yet. Because obviously, like, this is, you know, if she if this is a good story that she's written, it's never going to be a springboard to better stories or better assignments at this magazine. If it's any kind of springboard or ticket that she's writing, it's got to be a ticket to another job at another magazine. But are we supposed to be well, sympathetic that, a- like... According to the movie yeah. logic, we're supposed to believe that she would be able to write her, you know how to make the Middle East better in 10 steps article because of this. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the thing that she thinks she's earning the right to do. And, and, and you know what, maybe, I mean, maybe it will happen, but it's going to take, you know, we're talking about an evolution in the style of the magazine. That's going to happen over the course of a decade. Basically you're going to need a different publisher, like, a, you know, someone different to take ahead, a different boss who's going to allow the magazine to make that kind of pivot because yeah this isn't like well yeah, uh, yeah you're right sean there, how would she not know that was never going to work right out? it's not like she works at time or newsweek or something like that like a, she's not in a magazine that covers that does serious stories and she's been sequestered to you know the entertainment and culture section and she's just trying to jump from one division to another like there right. is no division there is no section of the magazine that does what she wants to do and I guess we can we can praise her for wanting to, you know, be that trailblazer to, to go to new territory. But it's not like there aren't magazines that that do that. And maybe the pub, you know, maybe Lilith is right. Maybe that's not what the reader wants. You know, I, I know there's you know, I don't want you know, I read magazines that are well, one, I'm tell you how old I am. I actually still read magazines, but you know, I read magazines that don't cover current events and news and that sort of stuff. And I don't want them to like, I've got the place that you, I've got the news sources that I go for news. And then I've got entertainment sources that I go for entertainment. And I don't want to, I don't want to read all the things she's talking about writing. When I go to, when I go to my composure magazine, I want to know about, you know, picking the best lipstick and, and those kind of things. And, um, you know, plastic surgery gone wrong. It seems like magazine mm-hmm. writer is a job in a lot of these sorts of films, along with working in advertising or working in the fashion industry or architect or something like that, because they're jobs that relatively few people actually know what goes into doing that job. So the the film writer can just be like, uh, works in a magazine and just make up whatever. A lot of the main characters have been advertising execs in some way or another, going all the way back to Bewitched. <laughs> Well, I guess you have to explain, 
like, why aren't you at work? Why aren't these people in an office all day? And it's like, well, it's something creative. It's she's writing a, an article so she can just go and do stuff and do other stuff for, <laughs> for nine and a half days. And then on that last half day before the deadline, she sequesters herself and she bangs away at the keyboard and out pops her story. And then her boss is going to be fine. You've done what you're supposed to do over the course of 10 days. I work in an office and if I don't show up for nine and a half days and just try to show up at the end and try to bang out all my work, they will, they, you know, they will have fired me at that point if I just don't show up over that time. So, you know, these kind of, yeah. And and realistically your first draft would have been due the next day. Right. You, You would have been showing them an outline. There would have been an editor's meeting. You would have been, well, of course, I don't know this magazine. It's pretty trashy. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I did watch a little bit in the beginning and, and Lilith says, like, it must be how to lose a guy in 10 days because we go to press in 11. Right. So you're so. Yeah. So basically, it's either going to be whatever Andy writes with is going in with minimal or or blank or nothing. or They've got nothing or I don't know. Maybe they've, they're just going to they're going to check the punctuation. That's it. There's a copywriter, and that's it. Yeah, there are no editors. They did have there are spell no check in 2003, so maybe that's what they run, and, that, and that's it. Yeah, they, they're not leaving any time for any kind of revision. They kind of you could turn in the Communist Manifesto in 10 days, as you long guys, as you hit the deadline. They have the cover printed before she turns anything in, before she turns in so much as an outline. Right. Well, then, they, they, yeah, she's committed to doing the story because they've already got the cover that... That includes the bot, you know, the, the blurb or whatever, you know, say inside this the story. So now you've got to write it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I hope Andy goes off to, um, was it Washington DC at the end to be like a serious journalist? I hope she, she just, she should just go actually just be like, you know what, Matthew McConaughey, if you want to come, you're pretty, you can come with me, but. But she's going. She's got to My go. impression at the end of the movie is that this is the dawning of the internet. She can write from anywhere. And so that she's going to stay in New York with him while she writes for whoever <laughs> she ends up writing for. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So, if this was made these days, one, all her coworkers would instantly know what Ben looks like because she'd have, you know, she'd give them all the, 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 his social media and pictures and whatnot. And then also, if this was written today, she'd be writing for a blog. This would be her, her blog post on. On how to lose a guy, not a magazine. <laughs> and then we wouldn't even we wouldn't even question the fact that there's no editor. Yeah, <laughs> we'd just be like, it's a blog. There's no editing. It's a blog. There's no editor. Yeah. <laughs> or she'd be a YouTuber. Well, yeah. So so talking about when they're when they're sitting on this couch or sofa or whatever with their over you know with their their bobcat and their oversized bottles of Bud. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> the 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 Guinness Book of World Records' that. largest house cat and giant novelty Budweisers. Incidentally, all the, the only beer anyone drinks in this movie is Budweiser, and I I I don't know if it's product placement or if it's just that that was what the prop department brought. But I I kept sitting there thinking, now the microbrew explosion had not really fully kicked in by 2003 but surely there were better options than Budweiser okay well I'm not I'm not in Hollywood and I don't really know about movies but I did happen to read an article uh, about this and it's it almost yeah. always is product placement 
they need a beer, who whose beer is it going to be? <laughs> well, that would explain then why they are giant, oversized, novelty bottles. Because then it's like, if it's just a normal-sized bottle, no one's going to be able to see the Budweiser logo. We need to have these gigantic, big gulp-sized bottles of Budweiser. That would, yeah, that, that explains it right there. They just want to make sure you can read the the label. Um, oh, but was- I think kind of the the origin of that is going all the way back to Superman when they needed to throw some kind of truck, and they didn't. They wanted to get permission. The legal department wanted to get permission from somebody to wreck their truck, you know, kind of put them in a bad light. And Marlboro was like, okay, yeah, us. And I think that was kind of the origin of the, the modern era of product placement. Oh, but what was I going to say? So about the couch, like you can't even see the couch that they're sitting on because there's so many pillows. Yeah, if you look, I mean, I'm looking, I'm at, at 1033 of uh, the, the section of, of the movie that we're looking at for this. And like, I, you can see like the sides, but it, for the area where they're sitting, it's just, it's all pillows, which is another, I assume that this is, this is Catherine Hahn's apartment. It's like her couch and... You know her. It's she's she's she hasn't gone as far. It's not covered in plastic, but she's completely covered it in, in way too many pillows. They they are clearly aiming for an old lady yeah. slash cat lady. They vibe. are vibe. They've got the cats in her apartment. Those drapes, that style of lamp, <laughs> the the couch. Which is hysterical because <laughs> at, at the era this film was made, Catherine Hahn was what twenty five, twenty six, and they're already trying to paint her as like. You know, spinster, well, spinster material. She's thirty at this point, but she's only like, she's like oh, an old crone. Yeah, 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 thirty. Well, yes. So she's you know about what like five, six years older than Kate Hudson. But like that's not that old. That's not or not not that much older. It is like because yeah. So Catherine Hahn was born in seventy three. Kate Hudson was born in seventy nine. So not that big a difference. But yeah, it's almost like uh oh yeah. Well, the the undone straight hair the. The can't ever hold on to a guy thing. Always has kind of a tear yeah, in her eye. Yeah. And well, she you know, she plays the part again, giving I don't feel animosity towards anyone except the scriptwriter. I think you know that Oh agreed. The, agreed. It is not the actor's fault that this is not a very know, pleasant movie. They're they're doing what they can with, with the material they're given. Uh, the woman's gonna write the article How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. The guy needs to have a, a woman fall in love with him in ten days. And so we've got two it, it, that's pretty perfect, if you ask me. I know that's that's kind of silly, but as far as premises go, especially for comedies, you can't really do better than that. You've got to explain. She's got to be just a horrible girlfriend, a horrible person to be a relationship to be in a relationship with. And he has to stay with her. And he has to, yeah, and he has to put up with it. And how do you get them to do? And and you have to like them. Like she can't be a horrible girlfriend for real because we won't like her. She has to pretend to be a horrible girlfriend. So the, yeah, they, I mean, the, the fatal flaw of this movie is that neither of these characters are likable. the The actors playing them have a certain amount of charisma mm-hmm. on screen, but the characters are both pretty horrible. By let's and start large. with Andy. What What's horrible about Andy? It feels like a male writer's idea of what a cool girl is like. She likes sports. She eats cheeseburgers. She drinks beer. It's like if you asked a Got a frat boy to describe an ideal woman. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, that I encapsulates that. it. There's kind of a there's a monologue in Gone Girl, kind of like that, like the ideal, uh, you know, the guys want the cool girl, and and goes down the list of different attributes that the cool, and it's basically a frat bro except a woman. Does she really like these things, or was she doing that in order to try to 
be like the perfect girls so that she could hook him and then try to lose him. Now, she actually, from what I recall, she legitimately likes like beer and sports and all that stuff. But she actually she pretends to not like them and drags him to Celine Dion concerts and stuff. Uh, as part of this ruse to lose him in 10 days. Well, why don't you like Ben? Someone else on this this podcast pointed out they get a little bit of an American psycho vibe. Okay. This is just generally not a likable situation that I'm going I'm going to seduce someone. I'm going to make them think we're in a romantic relationship to I mean bad enough just to 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 have that situation for as a bet and a lark with his friends that's bad enough but then in a professional setting that like the boss knows about it seems like it isn't just oh it isn't among the co-workers that if he wins the bet the other co-workers will bow out and then he'll get this thing by default this is a professional ad agency this is a national campaign of this worldwide conglomerate that has bought up all i mean we we I mean got into the the Delauer thing as a thin veneer um, that's really De Beers that is just this awful 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 company um, you know we haven't even gotten to that but like they're so they're they're vying for the for this I guess you know at least national potentially international campaign and it's all and and they're divvying up the work based on this horribly offensive bet that you're gonna have a romantic you know, a, a romantic relationship to get this work. Like, this is horrible. He's a horrible person. His coworkers are horrible people. His boss is a horrible person. It's a horrible company. And they're trying to get, they're trying to partner with other horrible companies. Well, as long as you've gone down <laughs> this that road. just bad. As long as you've gone down that road. I kind of wanted to talk about the two Judys for a second. They are, I'm assuming from this movie, it seems to me that they are the equals of Matthew McConaughey, just Ben just the the girl versions like there's the boy room where the three boys are and then there's the girl room where the two judys are right and the boss is going back and forth <laughs> between them and he's pitting them against each other to be the point person like do they they all work together somehow are they a team or are they two separate teams if this isn't like even different advertising agencies that are competing for this account right these are aren't yeah these are all people that work for the same agency and they're just fighting over the chance to pitch to this one client like now th- that would make it a better movie of at the end of all this so matthew mcconaughey sells out his soul he sells out his romantic integrity to seduce this woman and break her heart to win this bet and then in the end the the delawers say um you know thank you for your pitch but we're going with a different agency but, and it's all for nothing but even like, in- that would be a great ending even in the fantasy world of ad executives, ad advertising agencies, isn't there just always one person who's the pitch person anyway? I don't know. All I know about advertising, I learned from Mad Men. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah, that would make sense. It would always be Ben because he's the one with the charisma. Right. He's the one with right. the shocks and the down home, and and like the De Beers lady likes him. Just everything, everything points to him being the lead person anyway. Yeah, And the argument about you can't do it because you don't know women, well, I mean, the Judies are women, and they can work they can work on the ad anyway while he does the pitching, if he's the pitch man. Or the pitch person kind of gets the credit. And I mean, they can then, you know, hopefully it trickles down that they give, um, you know, they give credit where credit is due, and they kind of mention, well, it wasn't just me, I had help from these other folks, but... 
yeah, the, the, the face of the team is the face of the team and kind of gets the credit, of course. And, and again, it's all the assumption that this is going to go well. They're going to get the account. They're going to get the money. So you want to be the face. You know, of course, if it if it if it bombs, if it's a horrible pitch, if the Judys do bad work, you know, they give bad work for Ben to pitch and they don't get the account. You know, he gets the blame as well as the credit. But um yeah, I, I, I could see that where there, there's a definite advantage to being the person who's making the pitch, even if, like you said, yeah, you're just part of a team. It doesn't really, it's not like the Judys are out of a job because Ben won this bet. Maybe part of the problem here is that both Judy and Andy, it's not like they're unsuccessful people. They're both extremely successful people who are doing horrible things to try and get more successful. Ben and I mean, Ben and Andy? Yeah. Uh, ben and Andy. Yeah, I don't think we get any yeah. exa- you know, examples of Andy's work, but she gets, we know she's getting good feedback from her boss, which is, which is what she's going for. She's a successful magazine writer mm-hmm. in New York City, living in New York City. They're both young, good-looking people with seemingly unlimited amounts of funds. She can afford her own... <laughs> Apartment in Manhattan. She can afford her own apartment in Manhattan and her own giant novelty-sized beers. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're already extremely successful, very you know, genetically blessed people. And I guess we're supposed to be rooting for them to do horrible stuff to each other to be even more successful. This is where the movie got me. I didn't. I'm not saying that I like the movie. I'm, I'm partial to. I I'm pretty easy to entertain. Let me just go there. This movie. I forgot that I was watching a bad movie when they got to the scene uh, at Ben's family. I know that's outside of what we're talking about, but that got me thinking as you were talking. Maybe there aren't a lot of laughs in this movie, but is there is there enough sweetness to kind of carry There's some through? humanity in that scene that is not present in the rest of the film. I'll, I'll give you that. The, when she meets his family and they... They have the um, they play the card game and there is a a likableness to that section of the film and to his relationship with his family that is not if it had been throughout the rest of the movie, it it would have been a a better a better film overall, I think. Well, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I I felt myself connecting to the characters more during that scene. Once we got away from it, then we started going back to the other stuff. It's almost like, and, and I had the benefit of watching this thing in 11 minute and 33 second chunks, because that's the way that it was blocked out. It's almost like some scenes were television sitcoms, and some some of these days were cinematic. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. It's almost uh-huh. like different mm-hmm. people were writing each section. Yeah. Yeah, now here's, here's an interesting tidbit. On, on the screenwriters, now this is based on a book, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't um, surprise me at all. Yeah, it's, it's actually based on a book uh, subtitled The Universal Don'ts of Dating. So it's a... Um, oh, so it's an actual, like, how-to guide or how-to yeah, not, not Yeah, it's not, it's not a novel. It's not a fiction novel. It's a non-fiction... Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, kind of send up, like, an anti-dating book of, you know, here's all the mistakes that people make in dating. Yeah, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days... The universal don'ts of dating, um, but then the the screenwriters for the movie. There's three listed in IMDb. The first one is uh, Kristen Buckley, who has two writing credits in IMDb. It's 102 Dalmatians from 2000, and then this thing, 2003. 
The second writer is Brian Regan, who I... I have recognized the stand-up Brian Regan. You know, I don't know if this is the stand-up Brian Regan. I haven't been able to make the connection because, well, I'm guessing not because he's done, he's appeared in things, but the the Brian Regan entry for this writer only has these two writing, well, only has two writing credits and it's the same two. It's 102 Dalmatians and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And this entry has no other, no acting credits or anything else. So I don't think it's the the stand-up comedian Brian Regan. Um, and then the third writer listed is Burr Steers, who has got uh, you know about ten credits as an actor from the '90s, and then nine credits from 2000 and beyond as a director, and includes he directed Pride and Prejudice and Zombies uh, is, is one of the things that show up. And then he has three credits as as a writer. Uh, Igby Goes Down, 2002. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 2003. And then Pride and Prejudice and Zombies in 2016. So there's no one, none of these screenwriters or anyone with any kind of resume in screenwriting in general or screenwriting romantic comedies. Oh, I hate to call you no, out live. Brian Burr Steers was involved in Pulp Fiction. In what respect? Really? Wait a minute. Was he just an IMDb actor? IMDb has him as, a, as an actor. Yeah. As uh, Oh, okay. Maybe he was yeah, an actor. The, I'm sorry. The, a radio voice in Reservoir Dogs and then Roger in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he, I yeah, guess Yeah, that he was still like that. kind of the acting phase in the 90s. But yeah, as, as a writer, at least according to okay. IMDb, he's just got those three. So yeah, somehow, I mean, they, they've got... I mean, the, the cast on paper... Oh, it's stacked. Yeah, it's it. I mean, it's yeah. stacked. There's some great character actors and and a couple of of genuine movie stars. Yeah. Plus Marvin Hamlish. When you've got when you've got BB Newworth and you've got uh, Robert Klein, yeah, Robert and- Klein and Thomas Lennon, <laughs> Catherine Hahn. Which I don't. I mean, I, I'm not sure where she is in her career. Certainly, she's someone who's known. I mean, today she's known it's, better yeah, now. She's known I would better. Say, yeah, yeah but- I guess it's 15 years later, but um, yeah. So at least in, in front of the camera, they've, they've got some talent. I don't know what was going on behind the camera. My, my first thought, when you mentioned that it was based on a nonfiction book, my first thought was, oh, we'll do it as a mockumentary and have Christopher Guest direct. <laughs> that like would be that an in, instantaneously like, better movie. There you go. So it kind of goes along the lines of, um, what was that Erica Jong book? Fear of Flying? Yeah, Fear of Flying, where you kind of make a movie of that, but it's also kind of about the book. About the real life circumstances behind writing the book. I didn't know they'd made a film of it. I think that's the way I would redo this movie is I would have sort of the same premise except have it be mm-hmm. real somehow. When you when you talked about making it a mockumentary, that got me thinking, yeah, I'd like to see this almost as a documentary. It would take it out of rom com. It would take it into more of a serious and more heartfelt sort of story. Which this does feel like a, there's nothing cinematic about this film. Like someone mentioned in a, a, and I keep referencing previous episodes of this, but someone mentioned seeing this on the big screen, and my first thought was, what a waste. There, there's just nothing to see here that you're not getting. It feels like a television show, like a sitcom. There's nothing cinematic about about this experience, unless you just. You wanted to see those huge bottles of beer even huger on a gigantic screen. I want to see this the at a IMAX drive-in. experience of the the IMAX experience of a huge Budweiser bottle. 
I want the I want the cat on Annie's lap as large as Aslan from uh, <laughs> from the line the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah. If Andy were suffering mm-hmm. because she had to do this more, maybe if they were both maybe if they were both suffering more, I would yeah. have liked it more. Even if they displayed like the human quality of empathy and sympathy. <laughs> yeah, the, the human emotion would would help. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, so so any anything else, uh, Joel, that you would like to add? Uh, the one scene in this little eleven minute clip where I sort of liked McConaughey was when he was talking to the dog, but that's mostly just because I liked the dog. We didn't bring up the dog. I just want to give a quick shout out to the dog. I think he was probably cast because yes. he's sort of a funny looking dog, but I found him immediately more. I found both the dog and the giant cat immediately more likable and charismatic than any of our human leads. <laughs> Can we, yeah, can we get a version of this movie where we follow the the cat and the dog? Yeah, kind of a homeward bound sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. the The dog, you know, yeah, good to point out. Does does the work kind of a you know a a, a Marty Feldman esque turn where he's got a <laughs> he's got a peculiar look, but he leans into it and and has turned it into a career. <laughs> yeah, he's a great character actor. That dog. Yeah, so I look forward oh, to, to seeing more from uh, from the dog. Or maybe the dog and cat are the yeah. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the movie. And we just follow exactly, their and stories. they think it's all about them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Sean, what are you uh, what are you up to these days? Um, yeah, so probably the best place for people to go to uh, to answer that question is catandshawn.org. That's uh, C A T and Sean S E A N dot org, and that has links to all my podcasts and stuff. Uh, my my latest work is. Uh, Scrooged by the Ghost, where uh, me and some uh, special guests are talking about the Bill Murray classic Scrooged, one ghost at a time. And uh, Curtis, where can folks hear more from you? I am really, I've been swamped with uh, photography, mostly, just local stuff. I'm still still plugging away at Clue, trying to get that entire season done before I release it so that I don't end up with a better off dead situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm up to. Clue Minute's going to be next. So yeah, looking looking forward to that. And and so Joel, um, now that we've got the the podcasting bug in you, you know, can we can we look forward to hearing more from you in the future? No oh, yeah, pressure gonna, or anything. I got to use Sir Paul F. Tompkins in the sheer number of podcasts that I I endeavor to appear on. No, I have no podcast. Uh, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Joel A. Bacher. I'm at Joel A. Bacher on Instagram. I mostly just post stuff about libraries because i'm studying to be a librarian um if you're in san diego california and you see me around you want to buy me a beer i will not object (laughs) if you want to buy a a comically oversized beer for joel you can do yeah if you want to give me a giant big gulp size i don't even like budweiser but just to hold one of those giant (laughs) bottles would be an experience yeah, and if you're, you know, for, for folks that are listening, if you have your own podcast about, uh, you're doing a, a Movies by Minute podcast covering a romantic comedy and you need someone to talk about it, um, you know, Joel, you, you know how to reach Joel on, uh, on social media, so uh, give him a I've give seen a them all. <laughs> well, then we'll go ahead and put a plug in this one. You've been listening to the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Episodes podcast. I think we got one more. Is that right, Sean? Yeah, I think there are 10 episodes along with the 10 days of the, of the title. So uh, yeah, you're, om- you're almost at the end, listeners. You've, you've made it this far. So uh, come on back one more time. Give us a, give us five-star review. Give us a, a, a written review at iTunes. That always helps. 
like, like and subscribe. And subscribe. <laughs> like, like and subscribe. Yep. Do all the things. As, uh, Do as all John the things. Would say. Well, last words, Sean. Don't watch this movie, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> that's that's really all. I can Joel, say. fast forward to the part with the giant cat. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that we'll say good night. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>